It's time again for the Chief Zone Podcast. I'm your host, Farzim Misugian, here with another episode of the Chief Zone Podcast. Appreciate you guys, as always, for downloading and listening to the Chief Zone Podcast, wherever it may be, on iTunes, Google Play, any podcasting website where you can get this from, whether it's part of your morning, your afternoon, evening, your workout, work, just chilling in the evening, whatever the case may be, regardless, appreciate you guys making the Chief Zone Podcast a part of your day and taking the time to listen. Uh, not a lot to get to in this episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. We'll talk about the biggest Chief story that occurred during the bye week, and that is Roy Miller, defensive tackle for the Chiefs. Probably not a name that many of you guys know of. We've never even talked about him before. But Roy Miller got into some trouble, and that affected his current status with the Chiefs. We'll talk about that in just a moment. ESPN's Dan Graziano wrote a very intriguing article about NFL quarterbacks and where they could end up in 2020. Here, what he had to say about the Kansas City Chiefs, kind of obvious, but also where Alex Smith could land. That might intrigue you as to what he predicted for him in his future. Also, a couple of other interesting predictions that he had, plus... Since there's not a lot to talk about here on this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast, fairly quiet week for the Chiefs coming up a bye week. We'll look at the Super Bowl odds. How much progress have the Chiefs made up to this point? What were the opening odds at the beginning of the season, and what are the current odds right now for the Chiefs? We'll talk about all of that on this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. A reminder, you guys can interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash and That is the Facebook page. Like it, follow me on there. And a reminder, at halftime and after every game, although a Facebook Live video for a few minutes interacting with you guys. So make sure you're on Facebook. You'll get a notification during halftime and after the game. And I always, I always love the interaction with you guys on the Facebook Live videos. Started doing this a couple of times. Wasn't sure how it was going to go. Now that we're doing it more consistently, a lot of you guys are jumping in on this. So definitely appreciate it. If you haven't joined in before, hey, it's never too late. So interact with us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vasugan, and join us for the Facebook Live videos at halftime and after every Chiefs game. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzine21 and email me as well, Farzine at Farzinevasugian.com. All right, I did say last week that on the podcast this week, we were going to have Marty McDonald, uh, the founder of Save Our Chiefs, come on the podcast this week. He and I had been in touch. We had not necessarily figured out a time as to when we were going to have him on the podcast. We, I mean, we, we threw some dates and possibilities out, but uh, his son, he announced this on his uh, Facebook page, but his son was playing uh, in a baseball game. He took a fastball to the chin, unfortunately. Uh, now it appears he's okay, uh, just one of the pictures that he had uploaded, but obviously he had more important matters to get to than coming on my podcast and understandably, understandably so and rightfully so. Uh, so he and I have not been in contact lately. I just wanted to be able to give him some time to be able to deal with that. Uh, and understandably so. So, uh, not going to have Marty McDonald on the podcast this week, unfortunately, but we'll definitely keep in touch with him and I'll let you guys know when we will try to get him on uh, back here sometime once things uh, get a little calm for him. I know he's also traveling a lot here and there. He was at the Monday Night Football game for the Chiefs a couple of weeks ago. So definitely doing a lot of traveling, a lot of working as well from uh, from, from what I've seen with him. But uh, we'll definitely catch up with him some other time here on the podcast. I know some of you guys were looking forward to that, and I do apologize uh, if that's what you're looking forward to the most. But no worries. We will have him on the podcast. Hopefully... Within the next week or two, I'll reach out to him and we'll definitely see what we can do in terms of having him on the podcast at a later time. All right, let's get things rolling here. Like I said, very short podcast. I want to get into this Roy Miller situation. Uh, There's not a lot to say about this. Uh, A lot of you guys have probably heard about this by now. If you haven't, the Chiefs have released defensive tackle Roy Miller, who had six tackles in seven games for the Chiefs this year, played for the Bucks and the Jaguars, spent four years with each team. Uh, he was released after a domestic violence incident where he was arrested for domestic battery charges in Florida. He was accused of dragging his wife by the hair, tearing a braid from her head and nearly ripping her shirt off, all according to an incident report from the Jacksonville Sheriff's Office. 
Now, it makes sense why he was in Jacksonville. I mean, he had spent eight years total uh, playing for NFL teams in Florida, so family must have stayed there. So for those wondering why he was there, I, mean, I, I think that's the obvious answer there. I, I don't know the exact details as to where his family is, but it would make sense. I mean, he played for the Jacksonville Jaguars again for four years after playing for the Bucks for four years. But, uh, I mean, look, I, I, I've always believed that you've got to wait until all the facts are out. But according to this police report here, or the incident from the sheriff's office, the report says that, you know, he had dragged her by the hair and ripped the braid off, uh, nearly ripped her shirt off. I mean, this is just completely unacceptable. And the Chiefs had absolutely no tolerance for this whatsoever, hence why they released him. Not a major loss. I mean, there's not much you can do about it. He, he only had six tackles in seven games. You still need guys like him uh, for depth, or you never know. If injuries occur, next man up. And he's a guy who could could see some playing time. But, uh, I mean, look, it's unfortunate because the NFL kind of has this bad rep right now with some of the protesting, although it's not really as rampant as it was earlier in the season. But people who are all of a sudden wanting to protest the NFL, even though this has been happening for a very long time, people all of a sudden are are, are protesting now, or excuse me, not protesting, boycotting the NFL now, and now they're adding reasons for, due to any criminal activities that NFL players are part of. I mean, as if this never happened before suddenly, and when Roy Miller's incident was brought up, there there were a lot of people who were critical about the NFL saying, this is what the NFL has. I, I, I mean, they have wife beaters, as a lot of people like to put it, uh, on NFL teams. Well, first of all, the Chiefs ended up releasing him. Uh, would the Chiefs have released him had it not been for all the bad publicity that the NFL's had lately? I don't know. Uh, I, I'd like to think they still would have. Now, a big question you could ask is what's the difference in what he did and what Tyree Hill did and I think that's a very valid point I'm not going to get into this topic too much but uh, I, I think one case you could say I mean surely the impact a player can make that'll certainly play a role as to whether or not they'll stay with the team or not in fact I've actually got something interesting for the penalty flag segments regarding something very similar that happened in another sport. Plus, the the other thing to to remember about the Tyree Kill, and by all means, I'm not making any excuses for him uh, in what he did, but he did this while he was in college. Roy Miller, as a guy who's been in the NFL for for a long time, I mean, he's in his 30s, and this incident happened. Uh, so I think there's no tolerance for him, and I'm not saying there's a lot of tolerance for guys uh, in their late teens or early 20s, but at least, you know, you can talk to them about it and let, let them know, hey, look, if you do this while playing, playing in the pros, you're not going to have a very long career. So I think that also played a role as to why the Chiefs ended up drafting him, but decided to part ways with a guy like Roy Miller. So I, I saw that was being brought up and I felt the need to bring that up uh, as a lot of people were making that comparison. But again, I, I, I do have to go back to the whole boycotting thing, which I think is ridiculous because people are wanting to bring in every reason possible as to why the Chiefs or, or fans really should boycott the NFL. I mean, these, these criminal activities that NFL players have been committing, these have been happening for a very long time. It's not like there's something brand new that just happened while the protests were, were, were starting to happen too. So, uh, again, I, I think it's funny how, uh, you know, one person's harsh comments helped make uh, other people's decisions as to what they want to do with the NFL. I, I just find that funny. I, and there's no denying in that either. There, there really isn't. As for a replacement, the Chiefs did pick up Cam Thomas, who was with the team during training camp. Uh, before being let go, uh, he was a veteran who has spent seven years with the Chargers, the Steelers, and the Rams, had 114 total tackles in his career, plus seven and a half sacks, and an interception in his final season with the Chargers in 2013. So Cam Thomas will be replacing Roy Miller for the remainder of the season. I do want to talk about this article, very interesting article, very interesting list I saw on ESPN.com, written by Dan Graziano, who predicted 
every NFL team's starting quarterback in 2020. Now, with the Kansas City Chiefs, a very obvious one, Pat Mahomes. Makes sense. Uh, a couple of very intriguing ones here. The Jaguars, and by the way, he wrote the London Jaguars, so uh, take that for what you will. He has Jimmy Garoppolo as their quarterback. The LA Chargers didn't mention if they go back to San Diego, which I thought was interesting too, but mentioned that the Chargers would sign Tyrod Taylor. And by the way, before I move on, he listed three different categories. Teams that don't have a plan, teams that have a plan, and teams that have a good plan. And teams that have a good plan... Like the Patriots. He expects Tom Brady to still be playing at 43 years old in 2020. Same thing with Drew Brees sticking with the Saints. Who is going to be 41. If he were to play all the way through 2020. Very interesting one. The 49ers were a team that he had uh, under the category of have a good plan. And he predicts that the 49ers will go after Kirk Cousins. Kind of interesting because the 49ers recently did give up a second round pick to get Jimmy Garoppolo. And Kyle Shanahan was quoted, and I mentioned this on last on the last podcast last week, that the, maybe he doesn't even play or start for the 49ers, which I think is interesting because why do you trade a second-round pick for the guy and possibly just let him walk and not even give him a, an opportunity to show himself this season? I know there's not a lot you can do when, when you have just one win and six games reigning in the season, but... At least you've got to go out there and try something. See if you can b- get something going and build a, a quarterback there and decide to keep him moving forward. And, and look, I, contract negotiations negotiations can certainly be tough in situations like that because Jimmy Garoppolo is going to want a lot, but the 49ers are not going to want to give, give too much money because of some short success. If he has any success, assuming he does get a chance to play a little bit, so... Kind of interesting that they have Kirk Cousins going to the 49ers. You guys are going to want to hear this. Alex Smith. He expects Alex Smith to still be playing for the Denver Broncos. And I thought, okay, that's kind of interesting. He'll be 36 by then. And, I mean, look, he's predicting Brady, who is going to be 43. Drew Brees, who's going to be 41. So, hey, why not have a 36-year-old on this list? The article predicts that the Chiefs will let Smith walk after the 2018 season, which is the final year of his contract, and then he signs with the Denver Broncos in 2019. And let's be honest, the Denver Broncos have absolutely no idea who their quarterback is going to be in the near future. Brock Osweiler did not re-sign a couple of years ago, went on, and we all know what happened there. So Trevor Simeon was the main guy as the quarterback for the Broncos for the time being. Didn't do too bad last year, considering he was a seventh-round draft pick in 2015, and last year was his new year as the primary quarterback. And I I thought he did a fairly good job. Of course, that's also the same year they drafted Paxton Lynch in the first round, traded up to get him, and we haven't even seen Paxton Lynch play. And oh, by the way, Brock Osweiler returns to the Denver Broncos. And after playing the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday Night Football, the Broncos switch from Trevor Simeon to Brock Osweiler at this point. So, kind of interesting that he puts Alex Smith as someone who could be the quarterback for the Broncos in 2020, or more specifically, 2019. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, perhaps that's a possibility. I mean, look, we know there's a lot of parody in this thing, not just during the the season where you see the NFL circle come together, but also even in, in off, uh, off-season situations where you see a lot of teams. Uh, they're with one team one season, and the next season they sign with a team from uh, w- within the division. And, of course, we saw that with Jamal Charles. We've seen this with a lot of different players over the years, uh, not just in the AFC West, but other, other divisions. And Alex Smith could be the next guy who... Makes that uh, within division switch going from Kansas City to Denver. Uh, Look, these lists, take them with a grain of salt at the same time. Uh, They're intriguing. They get you thinking. And let's be honest, they do this for clicks and views. Uh, So so we can talk about clickbait all we want. But at the end of the day, people love reading these lists. But at the same time, don't take them too serious. It's a prediction about who the starting quarterbacks are going to be three years from now. That's not something that we should be totally taking too seriously. 
I remember seeing the uh, the same web ESPN. They wrote an article uh, predicting the next fifty Super Bowl champions. Now, maybe you could predict the next two or three, but at that point, they started making up team names. They started mentioning a London team, a new team uh, in a compl- in a different market that that doesn't even have an NFL team right now, such as Las Vegas or. San Antonio, I, I, I mean, then they started going into other random cities across the world. So obviously it was a uh, an article full of satire than an actual serious prediction. So a lot of times with these lists, are they for clickbait? Yes. Are they to get you thinking at times? Mm, sure, but listen, let's be honest. Nobody knows who even five years from now who the Super Bowl champions are going to be. I mean, sure, we know our quarterbacks are still going to for sure be around as long as there are no major injuries with some of these guys. Uh, guys like Deshaun Watson when he comes back, Pat Mahomes, Cam Newton, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco. I mean, a lot of the guys who are going to become the top-tier guys once guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees step aside, which, according to this article, won't be anytime soon. But again, these are articles I just want to get you thinking in addition to getting uh clicks so kind of thought that was interesting though the alex smith going to the denver broncos i'm not going to rule that out as a possibility and listen as far as a possible trade goes let's not forget we saw the eagles trade donovan McNabb to an nfc east rival in the washington redskins so you never know in these situations Maybe it happens if it's there for the right price. Hey, look, maybe the Chiefs strike on that deal and would be happy to trade Alex Smith to Denver for a very high draft pick and move on with Pat Mahomes and use that draft pick to uh, be more versatile and flexible in the draft and try to bring him some young weapons to work with at the time. Final thing I do want to discuss here that I think a lot of Chiefs fans definitely want to hear about, and that is the Super Bowl odds. Now, I'm not too big on Vegas numbers and such, but I always think these are fun to, to, to read about and look at. The New Orleans Patriots, they open up the season as 6-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl. Current odds right now, 7-2. to The Philadelphia Eagles open up the season 60-1. to Now at 4-1, to same with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the other team in good old Pennsylvania. At They opened up the season at 10-1. and Now, here's where it gets interesting. There are three teams... With 10-1 to odds to win the Super Bowl. The Chiefs are one of them. And the other two are the Vikings and the Saints. So as usual, Patriots and Steelers, those are the two frontrunners in the AFC. But the one team right behind them, the Kansas City Chiefs, with 10-1 to odds. They open up the season with 20-1 to odds. And if you want to look at the other two teams that also have 10-1 to odds right now. The Vikings 25-1 to at the time. And the New Orleans Saints 80-1 to to open up. The season. I, listen, I, I know the Kansas City Chiefs haven't played very good lately, losing three of their last four games, but I think people forget. I mean, they're, they're still ranked in the top five in a lot of power rankings out there. And when you look at this list right here of Super Bowl, of Super Bowl odds and, and the predictions out there, the Chiefs are still expected to at least try to make a run for it. And a lot of people are talking about how the Chiefs are still labeled as favorites to represent the AFC in the Super Bowl by some pundits and some media outlets. So, look, I, and I don't want to jump too ahead. Obviously, the Chiefs have a lot to improve on if they do want to get to that point uh, right now. But I think even with all the negativity and, and some of the frustration that Chiefs fans have expressed the past couple of weeks, we still got to keep in mind that the national perspective, and we've always wanted to hear positive things from the national media. Well, during a time where we feel very pessimistic, the national media feels good about the Kansas City Chiefs. So, you know, for those who've been asking about this for years, you're getting it. And during a time where we're being a little, maybe too negative about the current state of the Chiefs, you got the national media looking at this team and reminding us, hey, they're 6-3. Yes, they've lost three of their last four games, some in heartbreaking fashion. The way you lost to the Steelers, unable to come away with that interception and giving Antonio Brown that lucky touchdown, uh, giving the Oakland Raiders multiple 
plays with no time left on the clock, and then the loss of the Dallas Cowboys just didn't look very good in that fourth quarter there, which is very unusual for the Chiefs in the fourth quarter this year, and Kareem Hunt has been a non-factor lately for the team. The national media isn't really looking at it from that perspective. Yes, they've mentioned it, but they're focusing more on the fact that this is a very dynamic Chiefs offense, and that's how they've been throughout the season. They've had they have the second most touchdowns in the AFC, or they're tied for the second most. Houston was or is ahead, but they may step back, especially now that Deshaun Watson is out for the year. And this is still one of the better teams in the NFL. If you want to look at net points for all four AFC West teams, the Chiefs are the only ones that are in the positive category when the other three teams, the Raiders, Broncos, and Chargers, are all in the minuses. So, yeah, sure, maybe things have not been going very well for the Chiefs lately, but the national point of view of this football team is that they're still one of the top dogs in the NFL. And and I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and I don't want to underestimate all of these teams remaining on Kansas City's schedule, but listen... Let's be honest, when we look at the remainder of Kansas City's schedule, which I've mentioned before, you've got the Giants that you're getting ready to play who just allowed the 49ers to pick up their first win of the season, and that's definitely something that we've got to talk about later on in the podcast. You've got the Jets, who, yes, they've been competitive, but they've also shown that they're they're a very beatable team. And you've got the Chargers, the Raiders, the Dolphins, all at home back-to-back consecutively. To finish off your home games for the season. So Kansas City has a lot of winnable games. And the NFL schedule makers. I mean sure you you never know how things are going to go before the season. But given how things look now. They helped make it look very easy for the Chiefs. And gave them every opportunity to build a really hot run. And possibly go into the season 12-4 or 11-5 going into the playoffs in January, very likely to win the AFC West at this point. And speaking of being likely to win the AFC West at this point, according to footballoutsiders.com, the Chiefs have a 93.3% chance of making it to the playoffs. And for whatever reason, the percentage went down by 1.7%. During the bye week. So take that for what you will. They, I mean they still have a 93.3% chance. The Raiders. Their probability. Their chances went up. But only to 13.8. Uh, they went up by 6.9%. Which is not much. If you're wondering how the Chiefs could make the playoffs. Uh, as a wild card. There's a 4.3% chance that happens. To get a bye. 33.4. There's an 89% chance to win the division. So when I say they'll likely win the division. They're going to win the division. It would take a big effort to form a huge collapse to not only not win the division, but to just miss the playoffs completely at this point. So uh, a lot of people, and people talked about this before the bye week, that people assume that the Chiefs are going to go to the playoffs, but wrote them off for the first game, whether it's a bye week or if they're going to play during wildcard weekend. And I'm, I'm just not choosing not to have that that attitude. Am I predicting a loss in their first playoff game? Yes, but I'm not going to just write them off and guarantee it and say it's over with because look, we we know the playoffs are a completely brand new ball game. Regardless of what your record was coming into the playoffs, everyone's 0-0 when the playoffs get underway. This is a brand new ball game. So as Chiefs fans, I think we've got to be a little more optimistic in situations like that because you know the Chiefs are going to make it to the to the playoffs, but Listen, motivation and mentality, I mean, those those play a big factor in these playoffs too. I mean, it's not just skill set. There's a reason why the best teams do not always win the Super Bowl. We don't just look at who had the best record in the regular season and say, hey, look, let's crown them as Super Bowl champions. There's a reason why we have the playoffs. Look at the NCAA tournament. There's a reason why it has only happened once in which all the number one seeds made it to the Final Four, and that was the same year the Kansas Jayhawks won it in their miracle comeback over Memphis. So listen, the, the, this whole notion of people just 
100% assuming and guaranteeing that the Chiefs are going to be out in the first playoff game, I think it's kind of ludicrous. I, I mean, look, let's just look at the AFC West right now. At 6-3, and three, I'm really surprised at the negativity and the pessimism from Chiefs fans. I'll tell you what, man, if you walk up to a Raiders fan, which, by the way, the Raiders have a 4-5 and five record, if you want to go up to a Broncos fan or a Chargers fan, those two teams have a 3-5 and five record each. If you want to go up to any of those three fan, fan bases and say, would you rather switch spots with the Chiefs record-wise, they're all going to say yes in a heartbeat. Think of all those years from 2007 through 2012 when the Chiefs were on the other side of the stick, where they were in the basement of the division and even in the entire conference and the league at times. Think about where the Chiefs have come from in just four or five years ago and how much progress they've really made as a football team. If you want to look at the record, during those down years from 2007 through 2012, the Chiefs compiled a record of 30-68. and 68. You had coaches like Herm Edwards, Todd Haley, Romeo Cornell. Now look at the Chiefs since they've brought in Andy Reid. And in a shorter time span, they've already surpassed the record of 30 wins that Herm, Romeo, and Todd Haley put together. 49-24. and Andy Reid is 49-24 and as the head coach of the Chiefs. And by the way, that's the best winning percentage by a coach in, in franchise history. So when you look at... Those three coaches and the record they formed. Yes, there was a 10-6 and six season in there, but it was overshadowed by all these bad seasons. 30-68 and 68 by three different Chiefs coaches, and Andy Reid has dominated that with a 49-24 and 24 record. And assuming that the Chiefs do defeat the Giants later this week, Andy Reid will pick up his 50th win as the head coach of the Chiefs. I know we've been very critical about Andy Reid and everything that he has done with his play calling and some of the decision making that he's done. But at the end of the day, what's the common factor here with the Chiefs lately? They've been winning football games and they've been winning football games under Andy Reid. Yes, it hasn't been pretty. I, I, I understand. I mean, in the postseason disappointment, I mean, look, there, it's we can talk about that as well. But at the end of the day... I would rather have Andy Reid as the head coach than anybody else. And I know that postseason success means way more than what you do in the regular season. But man, at the end of the day, if you've got Andy Reid as your head coach, if Andy Reid was let go right now, there would be a bidding war for Andy Reid. He was fired by the Eagles because a lot they thought that it was time to part ways. And understandably so. But look at who they hired right now. They hired Andy Reid's assistant, essentially proving we made a horrible mistake firing Andy Reid. And Andy Reid right now, if he was let go, if he was fired by the Chiefs, every NFL team, or at least a lot of NFL teams, I should say, rather, they would be they would be contacting his agent. And trying to figure out what can we do to sign this guy on our team right now. It didn't feel like that about Andy Reid after he was let go by the Eagles. Because there were two bad seasons that he was coming off of that forced the Eagles to fire him. But right now, considering how much he has turned this Chiefs franchise around. And he did it with nearly the same guys that Romeo Cornell and Todd Haley had. So with that kind of work that he's been able to do just as a head coach, that just really shows you how much other teams would value him and how much they would offer just to bring him onto their football team. So keep that in mind. Yes, it hasn't been pretty lately. I understand I haven't been happy about it either. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs are 49-24 and 24 under Andy Reid. And let me say one more thing too, because... I know this can be brought up, but man, you you, you want to talk about a 6-3 and three record coming off a bye week despite losing three of your last four? The Chiefs have been in 
far worse situations. Let's not forget about that 1-5 start to the season a couple of years ago and how the Chiefs rebounded. Yes, the schedule did get easier, but there were a lot of, and I heard Ryan Lilger say this on 610 Sports Radio, he said it's easy for a team to quit. There are guys who will have that negative mentality and they they just won't put, put in the effort. So it's easy to roll over in those situations. Now, players are not going to publicly speak out and say, hey, we quit. We're, 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 we're fried. But let's be honest. Mentally, and I think we have this preconceived notion that because players are making thousands, hundreds of thousands, or even millions of dollars, that they have a different mindset than us. No, they're still the same people as us. So when you see a team with a 1-5 in five start, there's a lot of negativity there. You cannot truly, I mean, realistically, assume that you're going to win out. Surely nobody on the, on the team thought that. No one expected that. But look what happened. And listen, I'm not saying... I think people get it mixed up too, because if the Chiefs were to ever start one and five again, people are going to say, "Well, remember 20, uh, 2015, That's how the Chiefs started, and they made the playoffs." I'm, I'm not saying every one in five team will make it to the playoffs. I, I mean, it, it, that's just not realistic. If the Chiefs were to start one and five again, let's just say next year, hypothetically speaking, and of course, people are going to bring this up that that if this does happen, it's all going to be my fault. But let's just say it does happen. I'm not going to sit here and bring up 2015 and use that as a reason as to why they'll make the playoffs. 99 times out of 100, you don't see teams do that. The Chiefs were the first team to ever do that. Anyway, back to my point though. The Chiefs have been in far worse situations. They're 6-3 and three, and all they did was just drop three of their last four. They still have a big gap in the division in the month of November. And I'll take that. I'll take a 6-3 and three record right now. And given everything that this team has gone through, they managed to fight back. They'll fight back coming off this bye week. I'll be honest, I had my... I had mixed emotions in certain situations. Considering how they looked in the Steelers game and five days later in the Raiders game. But at the end of the day, I, I just tried to remind myself during the week... During this bye week, Andy Reid is the head coach of this football team. As long as you have him, and as long as your key players are still healthy, and I know Eric Berry's out, but man, this has just been a bad year for injuries. So I don't think any team has an excuse as far as injuries go. As far as this team goes, you still got a lot of your key players. And you've got Andy Reid as your head coach. And that's the reason why you, you the listener, you the Chiefs fans, should feel optimistic about the Chiefs coming off a bye week and possibly expect a special run in the postseason. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Larry Fitzgerald became the first player in NFL history to have 150-plus career receptions against three different NFL teams Obviously, those three teams are the divisional opponents in the NFC West. The Rams, the Seahawks, and the 49ers. Now, he hasn't had the greatest run when it comes to being able to have a great quarterback every year. Uh, and eventually, he started working with Kurt Warner and Carson Palmer. But look, those are, were not guys in their prime. He worked with an aging Kurt Warner and an aging Carson Palmer who... The Cardinals took a gamble on after his stint with the Oakland Raiders. But let's be honest, anyone who played for the Raiders during that time span, no one really took them too seriously. But as far as Larry Fitzgerald goes, he's never had the opportunity to work with a quarterback, a great quarterback, during their prime. And impressively enough, he's done so many things in the NFL. He's arguably one of the best wide receivers that we've seen in the history of this league. And I would even go as far as arguing that since he was drafted, which was in 2004, he has arguably been the best wide receiver from 2004 all the way to right now in 2017. I just don't know if you can tell me 
there is a better wide receiver. Sure, we've we've seen some great wide receivers. Uh, guys like Victor Cruz, Randy Moss, Terrell Owens, Steve Smith, Reggie Wayne, Marvin Harrison. Uh, so, so many guys on this list. But the thing about Larry Fitzgerald and what makes him better than all of those guys is that he stayed out of trouble. And on top of that, avoiding distractions and being completely focused, he has been consistently good throughout his career, regardless who his quarterback has been over the years. If you look at the top eight wide receiver or top eight pass catchers, rather, in NFL history, all of them have played for multiple teams except for Fitzgerald. He's been with the Cardinals his entire career. And look, I, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, a guy like Tim Brown or Steve Smith, I mean, they're bad receivers just because they played for multiple teams or Jerry Rice, T.O., Randy Moss, or whoever it may be. But there's something to be said for guys who stay with one team and consistently do well during that time period. And I think that says a lot about a guy like Larry Fitzgerald. That's why I consider him the best wide receiver we've seen since he, he was drafted in 2004 and just recently passed the 15,000-yard career mark for receiving yards. One other topic I do want to talk about in this segment, the Denver Broncos. Man, I don't know if the Denver Broncos defense is as good as it used to be. The Broncos allowed 51 points last week to the Eagles, and 41 on Sunday Night Football to the Patriots. And surely enough, when a Broncos win, oddly, would have benefited the Chiefs over a non-divisional team, the Broncos surely do not come through in that situation. So the Chiefs unable to cut the gap when it comes to being able to have a higher seed in the AFC, but still plenty of time left. Listen, I just don't know if this elite defense... Uh, is really that elite anymore. Yes, I get it. They went up against two of the most dominant QBs right now in Carson Wentz and Tom Brady. But this is also one of the more dominant defenses, especially against the pass that we've seen the past few years. And they looked completely flat. They got off to a great start against some really bad offenses. But man, have they been looking bad lately? against some of the superior teams. And listen, again, I get it. These are some of the best teams out there right now on offense, but this Denver defense has high standards, and I don't think you can make any excuses for that at all. Let's go out of bounds. Former Kansas City Royal Carlos Beltran, who just recently won his first World Series ring has announced his retirement in an article on the Players Tribune. Good for him, man. 20 years in the business and I mean he, he's played for a lot of teams and, and of course started his career with the Royals and stuck around for for a long time with the team. One of the better guys in the game. Just on and off the field and surely the memories you had of him here. I mean the the I'll never forget the catch over the wall that he had uh, at one point when he was playing center field here in Kansas City. Uh, of course, I think it was the 2004 season opener where Mendy Lopez, who came in as a pinch hitter, knocked a three-run home run to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth. And then, uh, or uh, maybe it was extra innings, I don't remember. But then a couple of batters later, Beltron hit the game winner uh, to make it a two-run home or two-run game to to win it for Kansas City. Uh, just one of very few memories that you can mention uh, for Carlos Beltran during his time here in Kansas City and, of course, other teams. And this is a guy who deserves his retirement. He finally got his ring, much deserved, long overdue, a guy who definitely deserved it. I thought it was kind of unfortunate that, you know, he left Kansas City and, uh, you know, he, he, he didn't get an opportunity to win a World Series ring here. Uh, when different players came in, but it, it happens. And eventually he got his ring, and that's all that matters at the end of the day. Uh, but man, uh, you know, I'll never forget, uh, also, I, I think worth mentioning, when the All-Star game was in Kansas City, uh, he got voted in as a starter, and a lot of people applauded him when his name was announced when they were announcing the starting lineups and the players for the National League. So always great things from Carlos, Carlos Beltran, and he definitely deserves his World Series ring and the retirement. 
Kind of an interesting story here. Britt McHenry. You guys remember Britt McHenry who... Her car was towed because I, I guess she had illegally parked. This was a couple of years ago. And she berated a woman, an Af- African-American woman, if I'm not mistaken, who... You know, I mean, I mean she, she doesn't live the glorious life. Uh, Britt McHenry was making fun of her, how her teeth looked, how her, her face looked, her, her what she was wearing... And Britt McHenry was in completely hot water. Now, uh, oddly enough, she she was not fired from her job. She was just suspended. And she she I mean Jamel Hill, she she's also su- suspended. And you know what Britt McHenry did was way worse. Uh, but nonetheless, Britt McHenry lashed out on GQ, who awarded Colin Kaepernick with the Person of the Year award. And listen, I, I get it. Colin Kaepernick's trying to make a difference. He, he's out there trying to trying to remove all of this discrimination, all this hate, and of course was pro- protesting against police brutality, and that led other players to follow his lead in protesting uh, certain other situations. I can understand all of that. Uh, Bridget Henry, you know, considering what she did, it's a little hard to take her seriously, but she makes a valid point here. When she says that Colin Kaepernick was wearing socks with pigs on them wearing police uniforms. And he also had a Fidel Castro shirt at one point. She also mentioned J.J. Watt should have easily been the person of the year for raising $37 million for hurricane relief. In Houston, I think she makes a point. Listen, I I can understand. We can have this debate all day long, but we're not going to. I can understand people's stance in wanting to support Kaepernick and everything he has done. I mean, he's really, like it or not, he has brought some much-needed attention to some very serious situations that we have in our society today. Now, the way he went about it, certainly not not what I agree with. And I, I think... A lot of people can understand that as well, and people have different opinions on that as well. But I do agree that I think someone who uh, who has also made an impact, I think in a more positive manner, should have been receiving this honor. Now, at the end of the day, I don't think J.J. Watt's going to lose any sleep over it, but I think that at the end of the day, you've got to consider who made a positive impact. Surely both of them did in their own ways. But I think J.J. Watt made a positive impact in a positive way, whereas Kaepernick, Kaepernick didn't. And I think that's why I'm, I'm with Britt McHenry on this one. Uh, very few times where I would side with her after what she did, and that J.J. Watt should have been receiving this honor. Final segment of the show, let's throw some penalty flags. I said we talk about this. The San Francisco 49ers defeated the New York Giants to pick pick up their first win of the season. And, oh boy, uh, I don't even know how to describe this, but they had a locker room celebration. And I'll tell you what, the Chiefs at 6-3, they have not even remotely had a celebration close to this. The 49ers acted like they won the Super Bowl. Get out of here. You won just one football game over a team that has one win on the season. Chill out. Alright, I mentioned Conor McGregor a couple of weeks ago who made a uh, made a certain comment, uh, a gay slur that uh, is frowned upon heavily now in our society. Conor McGregor has now taken it to another level. And let me just say this. This is a guy who thinks that he is bigger than the sport of mixed martial arts. And he's not. And he's about to find out the hard way. Conor McGregor goes to a Bellator event. For those who have never heard of Bellator, that is the UFC's biggest competition. They're the number two biggest MMA promotion. And there's a big gap between number one and number two. So they're not the they're not very competitive. But that is the second. That is the biggest competition against the UFC right now. 
Conor McGregor attends a Bellator event. Again, no big deal. There are a lot of UFC fighters who have teammates who fight at Bellator or at other promotions, and they go there to support them, or they'll even corner them. So no problem if Conor McGregor's there. Here's what happens. Conor's friend wins his fight in his Bellator debut. Conor McGregor jumps. He's a fan. He's in attendance. He's not a licensed corner man. He jumps over the cage and hugs his friend in celebration and chaos ensues. Uh, Members of the commission in Ireland and the referee Mark Goddard who was trying to get him to stop acting like a fool a couple weeks ago when Conor McGregor was circling the octagon trying to pump up his fighter. He all of a sudden pushes the same referee who he had the altercation with a couple of weeks ago. And then he pushed another person into the fighter who lost by TKO. Listen, now there are already repercussions for this. The Nevada State Athletic Commission, and this was not public knowledge, but it was going to be reported sometime this week that Conor McGregor was going to fight in Las Vegas on December the 30th. Which I'm kind of bummed out about because I just booked my tickets to Vegas for uh, New Year's Eve weekend. And I had plans of, I still have plans of going to UFC 219. And of course, I'm not going to be able to see Conor McGregor. Now, people are wondering, could this be some sort of a, a move to teach Conor a lesson? Maybe use that as a slap on the wrist. Maybe just have him pay a fine and let him through. Because listen, at the end of the day, he is Conor McGregor. I mean, he is essentially your moneymaker in this sport. He's the reason why this sport has grown so much lately. So listen, maybe they say that, oh, he's suspended. He cannot fight at UFC 219 for now. But at the end of the day, he is Conor McGregor. And the UFC hasn't had a million pay-per-view buys so far this year. Maybe UFC 217 could be the case, but we haven't heard. We, we, we don't know yet. At the end of the day, though, Conor McGregor really needs to chill and understand that he is not at all not bigger than the sport, and he needs to take a little bit of a backseat. All right, final one here on the Chiefs Home Podcast. I, I, I can't even believe I'm about to talk about this. I always get shocked when people do this because, look, you know you're going to get caught. I'm sure you guys have heard this story. Leangelo Ball and two other UCLA players were busted in China for shoplifting as... The Bruins were set to face Georgia Tech in China. Surveillance cameras caught them trying to steal sunglasses at a Louis Vuitton store next to the team's hotel. Look, uh, I don't even understand why people uh, go with theft and why they feel that's necessary. Uh, It's just, I, I don't get it. We live in a a day and age now where security cameras are everywhere. You cannot commit a crime and walk away safely and think that you're not going to have any repercussions from any of this. Because that's not the world we live in now. Sure, there are a couple people here and there who may do something and get away with it. But 99% of the time... Uh, people just just don't get away with it. I do, this is like uh, you know when you watch those police chases where you know it's been going on for thirty minutes. Listen, there are a dozen cop cars following you. There are multiple cameras in the sky that are following you. What use is? Why are you letting this go on any longer? You know you're not going to get away. You're only making things even worse and worse by letting this go on for so long. And the same thing with these basketball players and Leangelo Hall. Yes, he's related to Lonzo Hall, Lavar Ball. Yes, he's from that family. And the parents are are in China right now as he has to stay there for the time being because of the crime he committed. As uh, to his two other teammates, now President Donald Trump is involved and he's trying to. As for China's president to figure things out, I mean, I mean, okay, that's kind of interesting. But look, at the end of the day, they committed a crime, and they cannot just assume that everything's going to be just safe and hunky dory and all roses and rainbows. You're an idiot. You try to steal sunglasses of all things. Your brother is in the NBA, making millions of dollars. What use was there in trying to steal something? I I, I just don't understand it. I I really don't. Shame on them. Listen, man, 
people think that this is all fake news and that the media is trying to make the the Ball family look bad. You can't make any of this up. You you just can't. So shame on Leangelo Hall and his two teammates, and shame on the Ball family, man. There's a reason why they've been getting a lot of negative publicity, and you cannot make any of this up. This is on them. They they they, they put themselves in this situation now, and it's not good at all. That'll do it for this episode of the Chiefs on Podcast. I am Farzi Misugi, and coming off a of bye week, and when we return for the next time, Thursday, we'll be talking about the Chiefs and the Giants. We'll preview that matchup, and as always, we'll have our closing segments to finish off the show, so keep an eye out on that podcast later this week on iTunes and Google Play. Speaking of that, be sure you are subscribed to the podcast. Let a friend know about it. Post it on Facebook, tweet the links on social media. Always greatly helps the podcast when you guys can spread the word and let friends know about the Chiefs Zone podcast. You guys can interact with us on social media, facebook.com slash Vasugin. A reminder, we will be doing Facebook Live videos at halftime and after each game. So definitely stay tuned for the Giants game. So roughly 1.30, we'll be going live at halftime. And then after the game, we'll go live again and recap the game before I record the podcast. So be sure you guys... Stay tuned and interact with me for that. Like my page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzine Follow me on there. Follow me on Twitter at Farzine21. You guys can also email me, Farzine at FarzineVesugian.com. Big thanks to you guys, the listeners, for downloading and listening to the podcast. As always, like I said, spread the word. Numbers have been great for, for the podcast this year. And it's all thanks to you guys. Much appreciation to you guys for spreading the word and letting everyone know about it. Let's keep that going. Let's keep that trend going. And keep those numbers high. Make them higher than ever. So once again, appreciate you guys downloading and listening. We'll talk to you guys later this week where we will preview the Chiefs and the Giants. Chiefs back at it this week. Talk to you then.